0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, Episode 12. So we have a, a large list of things to talk about. It seems like between every week, new stuff happens, and we, we're we here to talk about it. So as always, myself, uh, I have Richard with me of MTGGoldfish.com, and Seth, or as you know him, Saffron Olive, writer for the site. And we have another writer from MTGGoldfish.com joining the crew today, Jake Styles. So what's up, Jake? What's up, everyone?
1: Hi, guys. Thanks for
0: having me on. Yep. So Jake writes for the site, and his most recent article was about Dragons of Tarkir Limited. So we're going to devote some time to that, this podcast. Um, so just to run through everything that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about uh, a limited analysis of Dragons of Tarkir with Jake here. And uh, we'll touch briefly on the BNR announcement. There's not much really to talk about. A, a large EDH announcement was made featuring the tuck rule. So what the tuck and <laughs> um, <laughs> dragons of Tarkir and just some more general thoughts on now that we have gone through pre-releases and limited setting and some people hyping up certain cards that I didn't like. And then we'll go into the trending segment and then wrap things up. So let's just start with the, uh, Pre-release stories, uh, so pre-release happened for Dragons of Tarkir, so why don't you start, start us off, Richard?
2: Yeah, I'm extremely salty. Very (laughs) salty. I, I ordered a Colligan pre-release pack, got zero black playables, had to play a Tarka, and the format was just way too bomby for my liking. So there's, there's actually quite a lot of removal, but not all, like, a lot of it's conditional and it may not line up with whatever threats sitting on the board. But basically, I died when my opponent drew Sidisi twice, uh, you know, a 4-6 body is like nigh unkillable, like, you know, everything just does 5 damage in red, and, you know, tutoring for the best card in your deck, well, you know, good luck beating this 4-6, which you have to 2-for-1 yourself with, and then they have the best card in their deck as well. And then Ojitai got crushed by that, also opponent drew it uh, twice in two games, and just got kind of run over, and I, I felt like it was like I don't know. I felt it was very interactive. Like you know, you'd play some cards, and you know your two threes and your two ones and shit are irrelevant when four fours hit the board. And if you don't have something that can deal with it immediately, um, you pretty much lose. And I don't know, it's just way too balmy, and I'm like so salty over the experience that I don't know if I'm gonna play the moto release cues. I usually play a couple of moto release cues, but. This, this is on par with Abyssin Restored for me so far. <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Well, we did have, like, a very initial reaction that it might be like that, but, uh, yeah, sorry, man. Uh, that sounds I mean, like it sucks.
2: <laughs> maybe I just had a bad pool, and I didn't open any value, so I was, uh, maybe I'm just salty. Maybe the format's <laughs> actually okay. We'll see, we'll see what Jake has to say here.
0: Yeah, so, skipping you, Seth, cause you cubed all weekend, <laughs> so, you don't count. Alright, so Jake, joining us here on the, on the panel, so, you you did go to the pre-release, so how was it for you?
1: Oh, it was great. Uh, so speaking to the bomb heaviness of it, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. My round three opponent had um, Hidden Dragon Slayer, which is the the morph that when it's turned face up destroys a creature with power four or greater. So they use that, and then I I trade off with that creature in combat, and it's a huge blowout, obviously. And then they flip up Den Protector, getting back Hidden Dragon Slayer, and use it again on me. And <laughs> I obviously lost that round. But, uh, <laughs> So, you know, I guess that's rares getting back rares. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that, that opponent also had Dragon Whisper, so they had basically all the luck. Luckily, um, luckily, all my matches didn't go like that. Um, so I also went Coligan and I opened, uh, for some of my rares, Monastery Mentor, Dramoka's Command, and Foe Razor Regent. <laughs> and no good green-white cards to pair with those rares. And all of my red-black rares were horrible. So I made this really crappy aggro deck which had a bunch of mediocre creatures and about 10 removal spells and was just kind of hoping to blow everybody out who expected Sealed to be a slow format. And it, it kind of worked. It kind of didn't. I uh, went 2-2. Uh, I had fun, but uh, overall, yeah, I, there were a lot of things up in the sky, namely dragons, that I couldn't deal with. So I, I can definitely see um, the Sealed format being bomb-driven, as, as Richard said.
0: Yeah, so so Jake also wrote a an article... And published an article, so, relearning Tarkir Limited. Do you think, just by itself, Dragons of Tarkir, in a sealed environment, is going to be a totally different experience for people drafting it along with Fate Reforged?
1: Yeah, it, well, the thing is, whenever we get a third set, people generally want to look at it in terms of, okay, how does it change the format? And even though you go down to only one pack of the original, um, the original set in the block, people think about it as still being, say, Theros block limited, and you're just adding Born of the Gods and adding Journey to Nyx. But with this, um, you know, Konzotarkir here is going to be totally gone. So you're not really trying to frame things in terms of how everything relates to Konzotarkir. It's just out the window, and it's basically like you're playing an entirely new draft format, almost like a new block. So, yeah, I think it's going to play out a lot differently. Two-color versus 3 colors, huge. The draft archetypes are, you know, vastly different. I mean, blue-black is still slow, you know, um Red is still fast, but I think it's going to be a very different format.
0: So Jake Styles, also, you've been kind of covering Drag as a Tark here with a multitude of articles. The one that you just published being the most recent one, but you also went into dissecting a few of those commons, uncommons, rares. Um, so, what really made you go the seed that you wanted at the pre-release? Was that just a your own choice of just trying to have fun, or so, you felt that you could go under?
1: I also I also um, I wrote an article on the commons of of dragons of Tarkir and I know it's really important. Uh, people like to try to predict what they're going to open in their seeded pack for their rare, but you know commons do make up most of your pool. So I made my choice basically only based on the commons. Uh, I, I looked at the rares and mythic rares and, and uncommons and so on, but that was my main reason. And red and black just have a ton of removal. In in general, there's a lot of really cheap removal in this set. Um, Twin Bolt, which people already decided, you know, and thought was going to be good, I found to really be an overperformer for me. Uh, you know, just killing a morph or, um, you know, taking out some other small things. There's a lot of one-toughness things. There's the uh, a target of Free is one, and it flips up to two-toughness. That's the five-one that flips up to a six-two. Uh, there's the four-one in green, so there's just a lot of really good red and black removal. And my idea was to pick up good creatures that I could drop on turn two, and then kind of, you know, remove their creatures and attack for the win. And unfortunately, my creatures didn't really hold up their end of the bargain, but I still opened a ton of red-black removal, and that, that got me there about half the games.
0: See, Richard, Jake knows. Jake knows. <laughs> he, he
1: doesn't. He's not salty. Jake's
0: a
2: good magic player. He learns from his losses. I just sit here and cry.
1: <laughs>
0: so now that we are kind of past the pre-release, Jake, and um, so people will be drafting this. So they're going to be reading your articles your analysis of some of these cards, do you feel like you need to go these specific cards or what, you know, what would you be taking now that we're going to be drafting the set high as, as very high picks if you were going to draft dragons of Tarkir?
1: Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for the removal. So if I see, you know, if I see twin bolts, if I see, uh, foul tongue invocation which is the sacrifice effect i'm I'm really going to be drawn toward those but i think it's really hard to see what exactly um is going to be possible in the set until you start drafting it i've heard a lot of talk about um just a red black dash deck being the thing um i hear people really hyping up impact tremors even though i absolutely hate the card <laughs> and i don't want to be playing it um but, you know, I, I've heard of people who have really put that to good use. So I, I think there's going to be some cool archetypes to discover um, beyond just the surface um, ones that are very obvious. You know, blue-black sacrifice, okay? That makes sense. That's that's what the mechanic is. But uh, there might be some more interesting things to discover as we actually get into the draft. Draft is also a lot different than sealed, obviously, because of the largest difference is You're choosing your cars. So you get to, you know, make things a lot more synergistic as opposed to just scraping a pool together and see what's playable and what's not.
0: As someone who doesn't draft a lot, and uh, I have mentioned this in previous podcasts, that I'm very bad at limited, uh, specifically draft uh, sealed. Like I guess I can do okay if I open some good stuff. But so as someone that doesn't draft a lot and would like to start with, you know, is interested in drafting as of Tarkir, what can you say is a good strategy for someone that you know is kind of jumping into this for the first time and not and, and hasn't done this. Uh, all that often.
1: Well, uh, the obvious suggestion that uh, would first pop to mind is to try to stick to an allied color pair and only go two colors and not the three that you're used to in cons. However, there are actually a pretty low number of multicolored cards in the set. Um, most, of, Unless you're lucky enough to open a multicolored dragon that's a bomb, um, you could actually conceivably go any color pairs. Um, so white-black warriors is probably still a thing. Um it's specifically White Black Warriors, I mentioned because in the Fate Reforged pack, you have the uh, the enemy colored commons, so Harsh is probably is the best of those five. And you'll probably get all of those that you want if you do end up in an enemy color pair. So in general, if you stick to an ally color pair, um, the mechanics are going to help you out better. Um, so for example, if you're using your Palace Foon Familiar, which is the flyer that when it dies, it draws a card, it's going to go a lot better in a blue-black deck than a blue-red deck, because you'll have more... Um, you'll have more exploit effects. So just when starting now, I'd say stick to an ally color pair. Um, don't expect the format to be super fast. I know that I said that I like red-black, which is obviously one of the faster archetypes, but green-white is a good mid-rangey artifact uh, ar- archetype that can go either way. Blue-black is a very grindy archetype that can shut you down if you're trying to go aggro. So I think there's going to be room for both fast and slow decks in this draft format. I'm not really sure what the overall speed is going to be yet.
0: All right, good. So let me let me write that down just so I don't get destroyed when I go draft. <laughs> so um, yeah, that, that's that's great. Um, so Jay Styles is a is a writer for the site. You can always kind of see his limited take on on these formats. And um, do you have any kind of info on your next article that you'll be doing?
1: Uh, I think the next article isn't going to be specific to dragons. I'm going to try to do a, an EV.
2: Um, not, not
1: dissimilar, uh, to what Seth did actually, but, uh, basically for playing limited in general, not the gameplay, but, um, strategies for how to draft online, um, how to get the most out of it basically.
0: All right. So you'll be able to read that here soon on com. So now that we have you here, Jake, you kind of, will be able to chime in on these other segments that we're going to do, but before we move and shift gears, does anyone have any kind of Other things that we want to talk about in terms of dragons of Tarkir Limited. Do you guys have any
2: questions for Jake? My only comment is pacifism feels really bad now.
1: Yeah, There's uh, there's a lot
2: of things that pacifism doesn't dodge. Like, you know, you can always exploit the thing that's pacified. The pacified thing still puts formidable on. And in my case, I had a Thunderbreak Regent. So there's a, a lot of effects that say, you know, whenever the card or any dragon you become... Targeted, you know, get an effect. So, you know, my opponent pacified my Thunderbreak Regent, and then he used two removal spells on some other dragons, and that's like six damage from the Thunderbreak still, right? So he might as well have not pacified it. So, you know, pacifism is not an all upside spell anymore. It actually has a very real downside to it.
1: No, absolutely. And and like you were saying, um, blue black has exploit to exploit the pacified creature. Red green, they still get to count the power toward formidable. And even white, Center Soul grants protection for a color. So if you name white with Center Soul, the pacifism falls out, falls off. And they might not be expecting you to attack. And then all of a sudden, here you go, the pacifism's gone. So although it's still a very strong card, and I can't imagine ever not playing it, it's not going to be the blowout, um, or the, you know, the absolute best card in the set, I don't imagine.
0: All right. So before we move on, uh, Seth, do you have anything to add or anything to, to to ask? Well, I just
3: want to know, um, in cons, in Fate Reforged, uh, I found most of my decks I would end up playing three, four, even five colors. Is that still possible now uh, with dragons? Like, Can you still just kind of play anything you want, or is it different now that we don't have as many lands?
1: Um, I would say that it's, it's going to be possible, if only because Evolving Wilds is a very strong fixer card. It essentially can tap for any of five colors if you put those basics in your deck. Um, so it's, it's, it's stronger by itself than any of the other tap lands. However, you only have one in the pack, so one Evolving Wilds versus, you know, ten different dual lands, so you're not going to see very many, so you're going to need to prioritize that card very high if you're going, um, you know, three or four or, or God forbid, five colors. (laughs) I think it's mainly going to be two-color decks, maybe splashing a third color so they can play, you know, as many dragons as you can that you opened. Cool. All right, so
0: we're going to move on and change gears a little bit, so... Jake, thanks for, for joining us. So we'll, we'll like to hear your commentary on the upcoming segments. So we did have a BNR and r announcement. Luckily, this time, not so much crazy things happened. So, um, Seth, you didn't get to talk a lot. So why don't you go ahead and start us off with the B&R announcement?
3: Well, unfortunately, Splinter Twin is still legal and modern. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, uh, Summer Bloom.
3: And some, well, that one's alright. I don't mind Summer Bloom. <laughs> Basically, nothing happened. I mean, that's the short of it. In Popper, which is, pretty much a magic online only format treasure cruise was banned which i guess makes sense uh i don't know why that would be legal in a commons only format when it's uh restricted in vintage um and then skull clamp is banned in something called 100 card singleton which everyone initially thought was
0: edh but then realized that this is another format
3: so pretty much uh no news is good news i guess
0: i mean what Seth, you don't go to like regular popper tournaments? Like what, what's going on? Man?
3: I am a hundred card singleton <laughs> bean.
0: <laughs> so yeah, no changes, not really anything to report. Nothing crazy happened in any sort of, um, facet of this community, which is good. I'm glad this time around. It wasn't like a major headache. So moving on, uh, so we don't talk about EDH and there, there are other, places that do talk EDH, you know, more than us here on this podcast, but this seemed like a pretty big one to discuss because it's all over Twitter, it's all over the social media, it's all over, you know, everything, and a lot of eyebrows were being raised, so they changed the talk rule. And what that really means is is that so cards like Howard Burial and Unexpectedly Absent and all these cards that were targeting generals and talking them, quote unquote, in the library no longer act like they do. They now act like a kill a generic kill spell, which an EDH player can just put their general right back into the command zone, and you know all those rules apply. So, I want to get your guys' a reaction. I don't know if you guys play EDH as much. Uh, I I do sometimes, but not really an EDH fiend. So, Richard, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so I, I don't play EDH, but. My initial reaction is to side with everyone on Twitter and Reddit and, like, you know, why, why mess with this, right? My only experience is in Tiny Leaders. I'm playing Legacy, you know, Singleton Legacy, basically, you know, Tiny Leaders. <laughs> yeah. And then someone's like, why don't you just play some Tuck cards? I'm like, what the hell is that, right? And it's a card that puts the general into the library, and then basically they can't cast it again. So it's a form of hard removal. And uh, You know, once I learned that, you know, that that Timmy moment... Sparked to my head, I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome, right? I got removal. <laughs> right? And, you know, you we're kind of removing that from commander, right? Like, there's, there's ways to non-permanently deal with commanders, but there was always one way to deal with problematic commanders, and now they've removed it. And, uh, the argument was you have to, you know, you can play less tutors to try to get your commander back. And then also, I'm guessing the less fun arguments, like, if you have a commander, you don't want it removed immediately. Um but, You know, I I feel like they're meddling too much here. You know, it's—I didn't know how big of a—you know—how big a part this played in the meta, but you know, just let people play magic, right? Like, don't add so many stipulations, and it's just harder to understand. So, I don't like it, but that's me. I
0: I, I agree with a lot of what you said. So, Jake, we have you here. What weigh in on this? What do you think?
1: So, um, I think it's super, super, super odd. is is the easiest way to put it, is why would you make just some random rule affecting gameplay like that? I mean, there's just so many other ways that the commander... I mean, not so many other ways. There are other ways the commander can be dealt with. Are they just going to ban them off one by one? I mean, there's um, Song of the Dryads. Next, are they going to say, if your commander is a forest, you can put it back into the command zone? Like, I feel like if they should have done anything, they should have done an overarching rule that said something like, at any time you can search for your commander and put it in the command zone, you know, and take a turn to do that. Or you can just do it anytime for free or something. Not just specifically hating out tucking as a way to deal with commanders. I think it's really odd. I also think that as long as Sol Ring and Mana Crypt are not banned, uh, that the entire ban list and rules committee for EDH is a little bit... Um, I don't take them very seriously. And I think it should be <laughs> uh, in charge of, of somebody else. I mean, I like EDH, uh, but that doesn't make me like a super casual player that just wants every single game to devolve into, oh, who got their fun soul ring in their opening hand? Uh, Seth, what do you think?
3: Well, I don't really play EDH, so for me, it's mostly uh, interesting because of the financial aspect. Like Spell Crumple, uh, which is from the original Commander deck, that was pushing seven dollars as a, purely a way to tuck a commander. Uh same for Hinder, um from Champions of Kamagawa. That was a very expensive card, had a huge foil multiplier. These cards immediately go from having a bunch of demand because they're so good in commander, to being basically unplayed. Like that's the only format you want to play yeah. a spell crumple over a better two mana or three mana counter spell.
0: Yeah. So that that does raise the question, I mean, so these cards were specifically, you know, just to go off on a little uh, finance tangent here, uh these cards were specifically good in EDH as a way to kind of deal with generals. So now that that's gone, do you feel like there... I feel like there's going to be some sort of, like, ripple effect as people kind of search out other ways to deal with these problematic commanders. Uh What do you think, Seth?
3: Yeah, that's true, but I don't really know what options you have. Like, what else... How else, I was hearing things of people on Reddit talking about, like, mind-slavering your opponent so you can intentionally tuck their commander. Like, there's just not a lot of options (laughs) out there. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, One one that really kind of popped to my head uh, right off the bat are cards like Nevermore or Meddling Mage as a kind of alternative to dealing with these generals. Jake, we have you here. What, What do you think? Does that really kind of devolve EDH, like, into this kind of, Geist of St. Traft, Highlander. Uh, I, You know, I made a tweet, like, kind of joking about it, but it kind of seems like a serious thing that people might be sleeving up Geist or these kind of Ural or, uh, you know, a lot more often.
1: You know, as as much as I dislike the change, I think I might like the direction um, that deck building takes a little bit. And the reason for that is you generally have two camps of, of decks. You have decks that heavily depend on their commander, either for the unique effect that it provides... Uh, because of Voltron, because they're trying to win with commander damage, or just because it does something unique. Um, so, for example, one of my decks is um, Talrand, Sky Summoner. Uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, put a 2-2 Drake on the battlefield. And that deck contains no other creatures. It just contains Talrand, um a couple of ways to protect him, and a bunch of different instants and sorceries to win with Drake's different ways. And without Talrand, the deck does literally nothing. Like, the deck just sits around casting things <laughs> and not advancing the board. So I, I kind of prefer decks like that that um, that need their general just because it means that your deck is built around something as opposed to being, like, two or three colored good stuff. Whereas, you know, um, I don't know, some random – I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but a random two or three colored good stuff deck, if you get rid of their general, their deck is still full of good cards. So I think that people who depend on their commanders, their decks tend to be a little bit more interesting. So hopefully that's the direction it'll take it, even if I'm you know, not fully supportive of the change.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll pose the same question to you, uh, uh, Richard and Seth, about like kind of the things we were. Uh, I was just touching on. So do you feel like it, the power scale is now tipped? Do you feel like people will now search out alternatives to these cards? And you know, how does that really affect? Price movement and uh, just you know cards in general and the format in general,
2: Richard. Yeah, so I like Jake's point. Like, if you don't use your commander, you're basically playing hundred card singleton. This unknown format that Wizards wants to support. So <laughs> having your commander actually be relevant, I think, is good for the format. It you know it it helps you build your deck and creates interesting opportunities. Um, but at the same time, I you know I don't know how much this will actually matter. You know, like the the very serious EDH players, you know, they'll they'll be all mad, but I think most people like how fundamental is tucking to the game? Like I don't know. Like you're just playing to have fun. So now that you can't tuck, like you can have even more fun. It's kind of saying like, you know, if I ban say sweepers or if I ban uh land destruction, right? It's like this weird stipulation, but the end result is people just play more crap on the board and stuff will happen. So I I don't think it'll be that bad like you know, it's just just think of it as your random house rules, but this house rule is no tucking, right? And a lot of people do play with things like that. You know, no Calia decks, no land destruction, things like that. So I don't know that this will have a major impact outside of, you know, the finance that uh, Seth outlined.
0: Yeah, so Seth, did you want to chime in kind of one more time? Well, for me,
3: EDH is the format where you can play any... Overcosted, horrible creature and horrible spell that isn't good enough for any other <laughs> format. So I think people are, even with this rule change, are still just going to play what they like, play these big creatures and splashy effects. Like, I have a hard time seeing it really changing the format, but take that
0: with a grain of salt, because like I said, I'm not a big EDH guy. Yeah. So any kind of final thoughts on the uh, EDH announcement?
2: So you can always tuck Sensei's Dividing top in Legacy. Guys. <laughs> That's where I do all my tucking.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Alright, so,
0: a few of these podcasts, these, uh, we have been talking about Dragons of Tarkir, so I feel like we should kind of talk about it one more time before we start drafting it and it starts making its way into standard. So, before, uh, I guess there's a, I guess we're going to have like a new outlook, I guess myself included, because I am now 0 for 2, and uh, you know, I'm a huge fan, Patrick Chapin, of the Next Level Podcast, so just shouting that out there. You're the pro, buddy, and uh, I am, I succumb to your knowledge, because Gurumag Angler and now Miss Raptor, I guess are extremely good cards, and I am wrong, so just throwing that out there. So, Richard, Seth, Jake, um, do you kind of have a new outlook? Uh, I know you might talk briefly about the EV of this set, Seth, but let me start with uh, Richard. Literature has been now published, and you know some pros are weighing in on certain cards, so cards like Deathmist Raptor, Dragonlord Ojutai, and stuff like that. Do you have like a new outlook on the set in terms of like drafting or standard or what have you?
2: Yeah, so I'm still not sure what news I'm missing. Like, we all know Deathmiss Raptor is good if you play a lot of morphs and manifests, but why are you playing these morphs and manifests? Like, what is the deck list, right? Is it just Mastery of the Unseen with Deathmiss Raptor, or are you actually playing, like, Morph creatures on turn three for value on Deathmiss? So it's not clear to me what this deck list is, so I'm very interested to see it. My guess is we're not going to see it until the Pro Tour. You know, the big unveiling will be that weekend. But, you know, maybe it just fizzles out. Maybe it was like Germag Gangler Modern. Maybe, you know, <laughs> nothing happens, right? Maybe the deck is too <laughs> janky or too inconsistent. Or maybe it's the next Delver. I don't know, right? But, you know, the card itself is powerful. But the, the real question was, was there enough playable morphs to build a deck around it? And I don't see anything to change that. So it'll be interesting to see what the pros brew up. You know, I'm very interested to see what Sam Black has in store
3: as well. Seth? Well, I mean, one of the biggest rules in deck building is you don't want to play bad cards to make other bad cards slightly less bad. And I just, what are you going to do? Are you going to play a woolly loxodon so you can get back a 3-3 from your graveyard? <laughs> like, I just don't see the support there. I can, I get that it works in the green-white devotion deck with Mastery of the Unseen and Whisperwood, but does that deck really even want a recursive 3-drop? You got, uh, Pukranos. Uh, uh, you got Whisperwood Elemental, you have all these Ugin, you have these huge creatures, and I don't think a 3-3 that comes back from the graveyard when you have 400 life and 40 creatures on board is what's going to put the deck over the top.
0: <laughs> hey, Willie Lasson is a good card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake?
1: Well, uh, I don't really play Standard, but I, I keep my eye on it. And the, the thing I'm really interested in isn't specific deck lists, but just to see if uh, any of this new uh, cheaper removal creeps into Standard and how it changes um, the way people build their decks and the speed of Standard, specifically like Roast, Ultimate Price, what that's going to do. Is there, is
0: there anything kind of you feel may translate, like you mentioned Roast, uh, Ultimate Price, anything else I could spill over into Standard from a limiting setting just from how powerful they are?
1: Uh, Anticipate will definitely be slotting into some control decks. I mean, it does absolutely nothing, so I know that the control decks already do a lot of nothing in those decks, so I'm not sure how many more spots <laughs> they have for card draw, but
0: that's,
1: that's pretty powerful. So while Patrick
0: Chapin may have a different stance, and obviously he's a pro on uh, Death, Miss Raptor, I was happy to say that he he does like Dragonlord Ojutai, and uh so that's good. <laughs> Um, I guess I don't feel so bad. I'm now one for three on Gurmag Angler, Deathmiss, Raptor, but I got Dragonlord Ojutai. Did he so. like it as
2: a control finisher or as a tempo or mid range card?
0: I-, I think he really just kind of liked it in general, as like kind of like that dual role, like you just said. Okay. It could work in both. Mostly, he was just hype for Dragonlord Ojutai as he was for the uh, blue card. Anticipate. Which one is that? Yeah, Anticipate, the Impulse-like card. Yeah, the Impulse-like card. So he, he kind of liked them both like in tandem, you know, in blue-white. Or in Jeskai. Or an Esper, you know, really. Uh, <laughs> and everything. <laughs> yeah, and everything blue and white.
2: Five color control. <laughs> yeah.
0: I guess any kind of last over-meta type things about Dragons of Tarkir?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to wait. No, everyone's going to hide their secret tech until the Pro Tour, so the Pro Tour right. will be the big coming-out party. and. Let's see how many of these DTK cards are actually standard playable because, you know, everyone's been pretty down on the set. So we'll see what the All-Stars from the set actually will be. It will yeah. be inter- it will be interesting, though, because this weekend is the
3: Invitational for Star City, and that's actually a pretty high EV and important tournament. So I don't think the pros are going to put out their best deck or their secret tech, but you'll probably see some of the good SCG players, uh, Todd Anderson, maybe even Brad Nelson, uh, BBD, that crew. They'll probably come with something very interesting this weekend.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, before we move, we have the trending segment, as always. You know, we try to include it in each podcast. Before we move on, um, Seth, you did write, so this will segue into finance a little bit, but you did write, write two articles, so one concerning the EV and one concerning uh, the rotation of Dragons of Tarkir. So did you want to touch on that before we uh, start evaluating the trending cards? Well,
3: yeah, sure. Um if you haven't read the EV article, uh, I can probably sum it up in about three words. It's horrible. Don't buy it. <laughs> like, That's
0: four. Four words. I, I can't.
3: <laughs> not good at the counting thing. Um. Well, the point is, I always try to make it clear in these articles, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a box. Like, there's tons of reasons to buy a box. And we spend money on all different forms of entertainment and don't get any value back for it. So if you want to buy a box, and have a box go for it but if you're buying a box to try to flip it for a profit or because you think the singles are going to be worth more than uh you pay for the box that's just not going to happen like even if you get lucky and open an R set you're still breaking even at your best case scenario so the ev is just horrible like there's a legitimate question whether this set could be as valueless as like dragon's mage which is like a historically low value set um, <laughs> on a side note, one thing I learned while researching that article, do you th- any of you guys want to guess, uh, except for Richard, because I think I told him, <laughs> what's the expected value of a Homelands box? 60 packs. You get 60 packs in a Homelands box. How much value can you expect to open from those packs? Damn, you get 60 in a Homelands? Yeah.
2: Um, it wasn't just Fallen Empires? Was it? Did it,
3: did I mess it up? Oh. Was it Fallen Empires, Richard?
2: I don't know, emergency research time. You told me Fallen Empires, when you chose <laughs> this to me.
3: <laughs> They're probably the same, actually, but I can't...
0: Uh, time for Google. Um, there's 60 in Fallen Empires.
1: I'm going to guess much, much lower. I'm going to do $11.50 exactly.
0: Well, wow. $11.50. I'm going to go with $25. Okay.
3: Actually, Richard was right. I just looked back through my notes. It was Fallen Empires. Not that I would expect that to change your guesses a whole lot, but... <laughs> but nine, nine dollars. So good guess, Jake. Well, Sixty packs, kidding. you get nine dollars worth of cards on average.
0: And that's and that's if you
3: nail
1: like everything, right?
3: And that's and that's also at TCG Mid, so you can sell.
1: <laughs> I would tell you you have to give me a box since I, I guessed correctly, but it might not be worth the cost of shipping. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I, I
2: researched this when Seth told me it was nine dollars. I'm like, I'm just gonna go out and buy a box to like relive my childhood memories. Guess how much a sealed box the Fallen Empires costs.
3: 100 bucks.
2: Yeah, Seth's got it. 100 bucks. Is it really? (laughs) It's like over $100 for a sealed box. (laughs) I don't know what the discrepancy is. People just love cracking the old pack. Who would do that? That's like... That's like... Oh my god. (laughs) I would do it. If
1: every single card in that... Every single pack... Was the most valuable card in that set? Would you even break even with the hundred dollars? The most
2: valuable card. The only card I know is like him to Torak. <laughs> that, that <laughs>
3: might be the most valuable card in the set, actually. Wow. But
2: the good news is,
3: uh, dragons isn't that bad. You can, <laughs> you will get more than nine dollars. It's actually, <laughs> actually in the mid seventies. Uh, I think it's one other thing about the EV I wanted to mention real quick. Something some people pointed out in the comments of my article was like, oh well, Death Miss Raptor it doubled in price. This EV is no, no longer any good. It doesn't matter. The thing is, with a Mythic like EV, I just went back and did the numbers again. Uh Death Myth, Death Mist Raptor going from $7 to $15 adds about a dollar to the expected value of the box. So even that big of a price jump doesn't really sh- uh, move the needle that much. So no matter what happens, you're not going to come out ahead.
0: Uh, yeah,
3: so that's it. <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, any kind of final thoughts? Are you going to buy a box, Jake?
1: Uh, absolutely not, <laughs> especially since I play online. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so no boxes for Jake. It's going to be interesting to have you for this segment, uh, Jake, too. So we go over the trending cards on MTG Goldfish. We try to include it in every podcast, and you can see these trending cards on the website every single day. Seth, why don't you uh, go ahead with the um, – the trending cards. All right, well, let's look at weekly since uh, each podcast we we have a week in between, so right. that'll probably be the most gains.
3: All right. Well, if we're we're looking at standard cards here, the big winner we've already been talking about is Deathmist Raptor. Um, it's basically doubled in price in the past week, up to nearly fifteen dollars. Also, Dromoka's Command has increased. Uh, Dragon Lord Ojutai, as we've been talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anafenza, Kintree Spirit, which I'm really not sure. Any guesses on why that's going up? I really didn't think that was a good card for standard. White well, Weenie, Craig Wesco,
2: I don't know. <laughs> White Weenie's always I good. Could,
0: why is White yeah, Weenie it, not good? It could be a couple contributing factors. I know a couple people are picking up like the, I guess the foil version, but the normal version um, for modern for like a kind of Malira. Combo, like, with Collected Company is kind of like a fill-in card. It's basically like four more copies of Malira.
3: But the, the thing is, someone mentioned that to me on Twitter, but those decks don't even play four Maliras. They play like yeah. one, so do you really want I, eight? <laughs> like, from one I to don't eight? know,
0: maybe, yeah, maybe it's just, just people are just buying it. It is a decent card, but maybe Tiny Leaders, the modern, uh, hype, and just maybe standard hype, like Richard mentioned, uh, Craig Wesco is always kind of brewing with Mono white stuff.
3: Yeah. And then, I mean, we got a couple cards that aren't in Dragons, too. We have, uh, Oblisk of Urd, which, um, I'm not sure there was a mono black deck, uh, that, was it Saito that played? Um, one of the Japanese players.
0: Yeah, a Warriors list.
3: Yeah, that was, uh, playing, um, Oblisk, so it could be from there. Uh, also, Athreos, God of Passage, uh, is up this week, and Seath Unwritten.
0: Yep. So yeah, and I'll take a look at a couple of the losers. So a lot of Dragons of Tarkir <laughs> stuff on there, most notably Secure the Wastes, as we now know, is in one of the um, intro packs. Volcanic Vision, Berserkers' Onslaught, Illus- Illusory Gains, Bless Reincarnation, Corpse Weft. So a lot of a lot of stuff uh, Dragons of Tarkir related, and that's going to be normal as the set is in flux. A couple of notable ones. So Nick, keeps increasing. Just looking at the daily, uh, master of waves again is now creeping up again, collected company, Stratus dancer. So uh, do you guys want to kind of chime in on this, Richard?
2: Oh, uh, I don't know. People are picking up some DTK cards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if Stratus dancer increasing by six cents is relevant, but uh, yeah, it's, it, I think we're seeing what we expect. So most of the GTK cards are going down and you know a handful are going up as people start speculating and picking up cards for the pro tour. But the the interesting thing is like cards like Athreos, cards like Obelisk of Erd, those kind of all go into some kind of like aggressive tribal deck and those are starting to see movement. So I don't know if someone has started on some warrior deck or some soldier deck or something, but a lot of these cards share some kind of common thing right so obelisk athros and anafenza they kind of could go together so that's a little interesting to see them all moving together
0: yeah so um we're eager to hear you weigh in on this jay do you follow a lot of the trending cards on the site or uh, in general
1: i mean i take a glance at them it's always interesting to try to predict what the you know the next breakout um deck of standard is going to be as far as um you know master waves increasing for the uh I'm sorry, remind me again of the Triple Blue. What's the name of that card? Shorecraster. Shorecraster Elevental. I'm not seeing the hype there, just me personally. I feel like it's a super bad card. I guess you can pay whatever it is, like 6 mana to make it a 7-1 and then make it unblockable with FASA, but I don't think it's what Mono Blue needs to get back into the game. I think Mono Blue is going to stay gone.
0: So is there any kind of other things that surprise you, um, you know, in just the, either a daily change or a weekly change?
1: I mean... Yeah, speaking to what you guys are seeing is uh, the pieces for a, a warrior uh, tribal deck are increasing, and I just, unfortunately, I don't see tribal happening. I mean, we keep on getting more and more goodies for soldiers, but I don't know if a, a random mid-range deck like that has has the reach it needs to close out the game. Same thing with dragon tribal. I I don't expect there to be a deck that plays more than two differently named dragons in standard, which is a real shame because of, you know, it's dragons of Tarkator. We would expect the dragon deck to be standard viable, and I'm probably speaking... Much, much, much too soon on that. It's just I, I don't see it happening is my prediction.
0: Seth, I, I, I'm i looking at a couple of the modern uh, changes. You can chime in on this. So a couple of the movers, uh, Tarmogoyf, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Cryptic Command, Copies of Blood Moon, Azusa, Crater Hoof Behemoth. So do you want to talk a, a little bit about those? Well, first off,
3: I was looking at that too. It's been, what, two or three weeks? Since we had Tarmogoyf confirmed for Modern Masters 2015, and it's still holding at over two hundred dollars, it hasn't hasn't really dipped at all, which is kind of surprising to me. I thought there might be a fire sale just based on what I saw on Twitter and people talking about dumping their Goyfs, but it doesn't look like that's happening, or at least the price
0: isn't reflecting that yet. So what what could be what you know what th- could this indication be? What do you feel like people are doing? Well,
3: I mean, it either means people don't think it's worth selling their goifs, and they're not expecting them to drop that much. I mean, one argument that comes up is, oh, last time Modern Masters came out, goif actually increased in value, so why would I want to sell my goifs? The problem is it's basically confirmed, although we don't have the exact numbers, that this printing of Modern Masters will be three or four times greater than the original, which means you need three or four times greater the amount of demand to maintain that price so um i think it's just a misconception i can't imagine it uh maintaining its price unless everyone's wrong and this is an extremely limited release again
0: mtg goldfish has uh, a bunch of different avenues um that it pulls from so just looking at ebay and a couple other completed things listings on there so it's not quite 200 uh, face value, so some playsets are moving in the 650 to 700 range, which isn't exactly 200. So uh, people are still kind of selling them, but at the same time, people are still buying them, I guess for personal use. A big one for me is Jace the Mind Sculptor. And um, the reason I say that is um, is because Jace the Mind Sculptor is the same price as Liliana of the Veil, so I don't know if you really noticed that, Richard. I know you play Legacy a lot. Should that be, you know, should that happen?
2: Yeah. So, so first of all, there's a bug on the Modern section. Jace is not <laughs> Modern legal. It's going by set, but right. Uh, yeah, like Liliana's played way more than Jace, right? Like being a three converted mana cost planeswalker, she actually played more, so it's no surprise that she's more valuable. Uh, you know, but whether this is correct given the supply of Jace versus the supply of Liliana, I don't know. But, you know, there are a lot of bug decks, there are a lot of black base decks, and you basically always want to jam Liliana in. Whereas the blue decks, only if you're playing some kind of control deck like Miracles um, or Grixis Control do you play Jace. So there's a lot more decks where Liliana can go into. So I think the price reflects their play you know how much they're played in legacy but i don't know if it's correct you know given their supplies
0: another thing uh, azusa going up so with no bannings from the bloom titan deck i guess some of those pieces might start moving up as well right is that kind of what you're figuring seth
3: yeah and i think that might be why blood moon is up too like that's the best answer to the bloom titan deck probably Mm -hmm. uh the other thing i wanted to point out is what isn't on here um, last time we had a BNR announcement, there were crazy spikes of Stoneforge Mystic, of all these random cards on the speculation that they might be unbanned. Uh, ironically, not, neither of the two cards that actually were unbanned were the cards people were buying, World Gorger or Golgari Grave Troll. But this time, it was a pretty peaceful uh, BNR announcement. Like, maybe the Jace uh, slight increase could go back to people. There was a lot of talk that maybe he would be unbanned in Modern even though it was pretty contentious, but there's nothing out of that norm on these charts that suggests that people were going deep on BNR speculation.
0: And that's good. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, that makes things a little less hectic. So any kind of final thoughts on the trending segment? Uh, Seth, do you kind of have any final thoughts or anyone else? All right. So before we wrap things up, there were an announcement of Judge Promos. So R- Richard, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so they announced the new Judge promos, so we got a damnation reprint, although it's a Judge promo. Uh Dualcaster Mage, Fell of the Third Path, Ravages of War, and the Best Land Ever Printed, Wasteland. Um, so what's interesting to me is Damnation pops up again. So last week we talked about how it was being released as a Mox promo. And we're like, Well, would they release this Mox promo and then release it in Modern Masters twenty fifteen? Seems weird. Now this week we're talking about paper where they're releasing a Judge promo, and is this another nail in the coffin for the, you know, the Modern Masters 2015 reprint? Like it's looking less and less likely. Um, but I don't know. What's what's your guys' take on it?
1: I'll pass this to you first, Jake. Uh, really, my only take is that I'm really sad that foils look so much worse online than in real life because promos don't really do anything for me there. <laughs> Seth. The thing is, with judge promos, they're so
3: limited that I, if they're trying to make damnation cheaper, uh, a judge promo isn't going to do that. Like it's there's so few that go into circulation, it doesn't really even put a dent in the price. So I don't think it necessarily excludes it from modern masters or even a standard reprinting, which we debated last week. Eventually, but I guess it could be seen as a a, a vote against that happening soon. I'm I'm really not sure.
0: So, so you asked Richard if, if it's going to be in Modern Masters 2015, right? Right. I don't think it's going to be in Ma- Modern Masters 2015. I think if they were going to include it, they would have to put it at a mythic. Would that make sense in a limited setting, Jake?
1: Uh, I mean, we've
0: seen we've seen
1: uh, Ra's at rare plenty of times. I I, 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 I wouldn't guess it would be a mythic.
0: All right. So even at rare, um, while it's not, we don't have the commander product fully confirmed yet i think that's where they're going to put it i think they just put this in into a commander the the new upcoming commander product assuming there is one so no yeah richard i don't think it's going to be in modern masters 2015 also yeah you're 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 a legacy guy do they usually does this kind of is this specific set of judge promos indicate anything does this mean that like legacy should probably play be playing dual cast or mage more often
2: no, usually, I think the way it works is like they usually put some uh, commander into here, so I think that's the shout out that Felden is. So I, I don't think this has any actual bearing on Legacy other than the fact that there's a new wasteland for people to collect. I, I don't know what's more prestigious. I think these judge promos are very prestigious, so it's possible that people will be flipping their MPR or previous foil judge uh, promo wasteland to this new one. I don't know. Like, I know a lot of people go after the new Force of Will, so maybe people that have out their decks will be going with this new Wasteland, I'm not sure. All
0: right, so any kind of final thoughts on the Judge promos?
2: Well, one thing I'm curious about
3: as a Modo player, uh, we had the Damnation, as Richard said, announced as a Mox promo, and now it shows up on the Judge promo. So does this mean there's a chance we're getting Ravages of War and Wasteland and Dualcaster Mage for Mox promos in the near future?
2: Well, this is probably the art for the Tempest Remastered Wasteland. I'll give you that one, but it feels really weird to me to have Tempest Remastered and then have a Mox promo Wasteland. So.
0: Yeah. You, you frequent Moto a lot too, Jake. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I, I don't know that I could really speak to that. I'm not familiar yeah. with the set Tempest.
0: Are you excited for drafting Tempest Remastered?
1: I, you know, I didn't draft it the first time around, and it's really hard to get into the, those cards, just the style of cards, the style of design was so different back then.
2: Yeah, um,
1: It's like, it's almost like the difference, the distance between cube and a normal limited set, and then take that and like double it. That's what it is trying to draft like a pre-modern <laughs> set. So, uh, I, I don't think I'll be taking a dive though, I will be interested in watching other people draft it.
0: Alright, so um that basically wraps things up. We covered everything we wanted to cover. Um, as always, follow us on Twitter. Uh, myself at Bolt Snap Bolt, Richard, uh, at MTG Goldfish, Seth at Saffron Olive, and Jake, uh, you're on Twitter, right? Jake Styles MTG. There you go. So always follow us on Twitter. Jake, it was great to have you on. Um, great articles on the site. Glad you could join us here on the podcast.
1: Thank you. It was a ton of fun.
0: Yeah, it was good having you. Before we break uh before we end, um, do you have any cool cube stories for us, uh Seth? Oh well,
3: I guess my highlight of the weekend while you guys were losing to dragons and not having enough removal, I was upheavaling people, sometimes multiple times in the same game by shuffling it back in with Eldrazi. So it was a good weekend. (laughs) All
0: right. (laughs) So thanks everyone for joining us here on the MTG Goldfish Podcast. This is the crew signing out. See you next time.